Green Street Joinery and the American Craftsman Podcast are proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist in Montana, USA. With numerous patents dating back to the invention of the Hexshank system by our founders, we strive to produce accessories that add precision, flexibility, and efficiency to your toolkit. In addition to woodworking tools, we produce many high-quality cutting tools that are used by the aerospace, medical, automotive, and industrial markets. Our end product has a fit and finish that is beyond comparison. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. For 10% off your order, visit MontanaBrandTools.com and use the coupon code AmericanCraftsman. All right, welcome back to the American Craftsman Podcast. Yes, indeed. Episode 18 of Season 2. Yeah, we're uh, stepping into the Empire period. Yeah, like that movie, uh, TV show. (laughs) No. no. About, like, was he like a rap producer or something? Yeah, I think so. This is a completely different empire. uh, What's that guy's name, that actor? Um... I, I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen the show. He was in, uh, you ever seen the movie Hustle and Flow? Mm, no. He's the main character in that movie. Okay. That is a good movie. Yeah. About like a, uh, a, mem- a guy in Memphis, Tennessee who wants to become a rapper. Ah. And uh, Anthony something or another's in it. Anthony. And this goofy white dude. Uh, you'd have to see it. Yeah. It is a good movie, though. I'd check it out. It's a good. It's a. It's a big time TV movie. Oh yeah, like it's always on. You know, because they probably got it for nothing. It's like uh, Shawshank Redemption. You can always watch that. Yeah. You know, my wife's never seen Shawshank Redemption. What? That's a classic. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a great movie. My wife's like that, too, though. There's all these movies that she hasn't seen, but then she's seen all the terrible movies. <laughs> she's like, what do you mean you haven't seen... Uh, you don't like 10 Things I Hate About You? I'm like, no, I don't like that movie. But she, She's seen Ernest Goes to Camp. <laughs> Probably. So, uh, Empire, or uh, for our purposes, the American Empire, period. Uh, episode 18 is going to deal with who, what, where... And when, but not necessarily in that order. What happened to the why and the how? The why and how. I I think it's in there. I probably just didn't type it. Who, what, when, where, why, how? Do they yeah. still teach that in school? I feel like that was like uh, something that that they put too much emphasis on when yeah. I was in school. Yeah. When I was a teacher, we had the do now. Do now. Did you have do now? No. That was something that somebody up in... Uh, uh, Albany. Yeah, Albany. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Decided they needed to get the kids into the class and have them working right away. Uh. Well, before before you even did the lesson, they had to do now. Oh my god! Yeah, oh, it was like a what, like a writing prompt or something. It was. You'd have to have it on the board, and you know, the kids as soon as they came in were supposed to be doing it while you were taking attendance and all that other nonsense. Like we know the bell hasn't rung yet. It's like like at work. They want you to yeah. work before you even before yeah. you're even clocked in. I know. It's all it's all stupid nonsense. Um so who what? Where, why, when, how, who? <laughs> I'm confused. Well, what is American Empire? And the, the reason, um, I mean, I, I like this stuff, and that's one of the reasons we go through it. But to set the, the background, I think, is important because it shows how all these world events and yeah. everything sort of influences what becomes style. Um, well, it gives context to the when yeah. and the why. Right, exactly. Uh, so... We just left a federal period, which even though it was uh, influenced by uh, French and English primarily um, designers and style, it, you know, it was still called federal. This is really almost wholly French-inspired hmm. um, and indirectly French-inspired uh, as well, as we'll get into. Um it's another neoclassical style, like Federal, 
Uh, so they're going to draw from the Roman and Greek architecture and all that stuff that yep. was discovered not that long ago, or rediscovered, uh, I should say. Uh, and it's the first French empire uh, under Napoleon. So we're talking about late uh, 1700s, early 1800s. Um, two of the main dudes, Napoleon's architects, were Percier and Fontaine. And they're names that will crop up in um, the future as being real uh, heavy influencers of the style because they were uh, instrumental in developing all these things for Napoleon. Yeah. They're so, getting paid, you know, by the Grand Poobah to do these things. <laughs> exactly. The grand, that's, that's a good way to describe Napoleon. <laughs> um, now, it's something that maybe everybody doesn't know, like the time frame. So in 1798, Napoleon begins his Egyptian campaign. And, and that's sort of where um, a lot of this comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it starts off, you know, like all these things about money and power, but there's a lot of scientific research that comes out of it. Um, Napoleon heads over into uh, Egypt, Syria, uh, under the pretense of, uh, you know... Find the ancient aliens? <laughs> no, this is, this is pre, pre-ancient aliens. <laughs> Let me me backtrack a little bit. So 1798, Napoleon begins his Egyptian campaign. A lot of science and research is uh, the result of it. There's a lot of archaeological discoveries, uh, especially uh, in Europe, you know, because um, this is all new to the folks in in um, in Europe. And I'm sure you've seen the, the pictures, the photographs of like some European on a camel, oh, and yeah. the Sphinx is buried up to its head in the sand. Yeah, you know, and I this, think that was as that was as soon as like the early 1900s. Yeah, you know, like yeah. they didn't. I don't think they unearthed the Sphinx until the like the 20s or something, mm-hmm. did they? Yeah, so this is the beginning of all that stuff. You can imagine how you know remote it is compared to how it is now. Right, that's a really good point. Um, Maybe not remote. That's sort of like a that would be like a dig against the people who live there because there are people there. It's not like, not like Napoleon went and discovered, e- uh, you know, Egypt, but, um, no, I understand what you're saying. It's that information isn't disseminated the way it is yeah. now. It's, it's a distant land from, uh, Europe and America. And that's where we're, you know, discussing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the lifestyle, the, the culture, it's, it's unknown to, to most mm-hmm. on this side of the world. Um, so all the, this, the military campaign and then the scientific campaign, it influences fashion and art, which takes up uh, Egyptian themes uh, and motifs like a sphinx, a winged lion, lotus blossoms, caryatids. You ever mm-hmm. hear that word, a caryatid? Uh, no. I had to look it up. It's like a Katie did. <laughs> That's a caryatid is a stone carving of a draped female figure. Mm. Uh, believe me, I had no idea that's what that was going to be. Yeah. Uh, and scarabs, of course, you know, that's a big Egyptian yeah. thing. So all over Europe, Egyptian motifs as well as those as we spoke of from ancient Greece and Rome, they were be- to become prominent features on what will uh, develop as the empire style. The sumptuous Sumptuous empire, empire, empire style and decoration. So let's, uh, we'll talk a little bit about how Napoleon gets over there. Um, as I said, this is 1798, the French campaign in Egypt and Syria, um, now, the Ottomans were controlling that part of the world at the time. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, Napoleon, he decides he's got French trade interests and he's going to go over there. Um, he joins forces with the Indian ruler, uh, Tipu Sultan, and mm. uh, the British are there too in India, as everybody knows yep. that part about history. They're everywhere. And France and England have always had it in for each other. <laughs> and, and that was, of course, one of uh, um, Napoleon's big aims, was to get Britain out of that area. Right. Um, but uh, Britain winds up winning in the end. Huh. You know, they stayed over in India, and they, you know... Um, we're a big imperial power. Uh, so he's there, but aside from the military campaign, as we discussed, there's this whole scientific campaign that happens. And I didn't know this either. The discovery of the Ros Rosetta Stone is at this time. Oh, wow. And everybody's heard of the Rosetta Stone. The thing that makes it so important is that it was the first bilingual text uh, discovered. So you have all these um, hieroglyphics, mm -hmm. and nobody knew what they meant. But the, the second language was, um, I guess, Greek, because it was um, written uh, in this Hellenistic language, and that Hellenistic is, is Greek. Right. Um, so they were able to decipher now all these hieroglyphics. It was like, yeah. They... Because they could understand the Greek translation. Mm -hmm. This created, you know, more intense interest. And um, it's, uh, you know, how, uh, how that goes with the, the, all these rich people go ahead and over oh, there. Yeah. You know, archaeologists were at first just a bunch of rich Europeans. Yeah. We've seen it now with the, uh, the new interest in space. Right, exactly. That's a great analogy. Like, we got all this interest in space, and who gets to go up? All these rich folks that can buy a ticket on, uh, you know, Blue Horizon or whatever the hell it's yeah, called. Blue Origin. Blue Origin. All right. Well, despite early victories and initial successful expedition into Syria, Napoleon and his Armée d'Orient mm. <laughs> were eventually defeated and forced to withdraw. Um, and so Napoleon suffers uh, defeat in Egypt and Syria, and it's not unrelated to what then happens in America at the time. So who are they fighting? Are they fighting the Syrians and the Egyptians? They're fighting the Ottomans. Ah. Yeah, the Ottoman Empire. And, of course, I'm sure the Ottomans have enlisted the uh, native Syrian and Egyptians, but it's the Ottoman Turks. I was going to say, yeah, that's like Turkey area, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, well, so 1803 now comes around, and that's a big day in American history because mm -hmm. that's when we get the Louisiana Purchase. Yeah, he must have been hurting. Exactly. So he's hurting for money. He wants to stick it to Britain. And... Uh, now, America's still young, and Britain still has a lot of um, influence and a lot of interest yeah. in the, the continent because um, there's still a lot of unsecured land. Especially down in that southern, you know, kind of area because right. you have the, the, you know, the islands in the Caribbean and mm -hmm. England is the powerhouse down there. That's right. And France has what is now uh, Louisiana and all those states north and west uh, of that that go up into the, you know, basically the heartland of America now. So he's worried that uh, Britain's going to be able to come in from the west and sort of take over that part of it. What he does, he makes a sweetheart deal to America, selling his land to first, so first to raise money because of his defeats, yep. you know, all those expensive wars he, he's lost. 
And so for $15 million, he sells 530 million acres Jeez. to America. That comes out to about $18 a square mile. Yeah, now, I mean, an acre, a square acre, like a, like I feel like a like $1,000 is like the cheapest you can find that, like in the middle of the woods with no access. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, and that included New Orleans. It includes places that are, you know, well-developed. Yeah. It's right, uh, you know, it's on the Mississippi River. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a vital... Uh, shipping port. Yeah. It's it's big deal. Uh, so Napoleon raises money and sticks it to the British. Uh, so we'll we'll backtrack again. We'll talk about Empire Furniture specifically. Uh, and when did that happen? 1790s into the 1830s. Uh, starts with um, Napoleon. He takes over. Everybody knows he had these this penchant for grand gestures. So you can imagine the furniture that he's having designed for his royal court and yeah. everything like that. Um, the um, American Empire, as a style, gains popularity in the 1820s here in America, um, which is sort of what they call the second phase of um, neoclassical style. Um, and uh, it's not unrelated to the tail end of the federal style. Like mm-hmm. when we saw that that piece, um, that pier table, Yep, that had a lot of what is sort of um, considered empire elements. Yeah, all those black elements, like, I don't know, to me, kind of, screamed Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Um, so also as a, as a movement, as a 19th century design movement in the U.S., empire encompasses architecture, furniture, and d- decorative arts, as well as the visual arts. So I'm, you know, I'm guessing that implies painting and all mm-hmm. these other things. I um, think that's going to be a pretty common theme, you know, moving forward, starting with the, with the federal, where these design um, periods are not, they're not just furniture, they're sort of everything. Exactly. Good point. Um, the federal architecture, we saw those cool homes. Um, and I guess, do we have anything like that now? I mean, where, I guess the, the bungalow or a cottage style might have cottage style furniture. Yeah, well, the bungalow was kind of like an arts and crafts thing. Yeah, right? yeah, um, that's that's what I mean. Like now, you know, uh, typical furniture and and house doesn't really match. Like, uh, yeah, well, they're of the same quality. <laughs> <laughs> Both garbage. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> um, so in American furniture, who is one of the leading um, or who are some of the leading proponents of empire? Uh, Duncan Fife, his name comes up again. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, we saw when we looked at him last time, the furniture, he was starting to go into that direction. You mm-hmm. can tell, like, these real wacky kind of, and we even said Egyptian looking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Remember that chair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, because he was kind of young during the federal period. Right. Uh, And so now he's he's made it through those past couple of decades, and now Empire's big. And Fife, based out of New York, is still a hot name. He's still big, and he's he's, um, current, we'll we'll say. Um, And another big name I came across was um, a Paris-trained... A uh, cabinet maker named Charles Honoré, and these French names are tough. La, La Nouère. I'll go with that. Yeah, L A N N U I E R. For those of you who uh, are uh, following along at home, 
Um, Maybe it's Lanier. Lanier. Yeah, Lanier. Lanier. I don't know. I, I'm not sure where the U falls in the pronunciation for France. I wish there was a... Uh, for French. A, um, like a pronunciation thing built into this. Oh, that like would be could, cool. Like, right-click. Uh, not that I can read anything that's <laughs> yeah. on this menu right now because the screen is about five feet away, but... Um, so, as I said, uh, we're going to call him Charles. Charles Honoré. He was Chuck French... L. Chuck. Uh, we'll discuss his uh, episode... We'll discuss his career in the, when we get into the more like the who... Uh, which is, uh, I think, the second episode where we dive into uh, the, the cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a tease, as Tune we in say next in the week business. To see if the if they find anything on Oak Island. <laughs> hey, that's on tonight, you know. <laughs> and then next week we'll say, tune in next week. Um, I thought it was important to note that uh, it's at this this period of time where the em- the Empire period emerges that the Industrial Revolution is starting to take hold. Right. Um, and there was a, this guy, Joseph Meeks, his name pops up in a couple of uh, future, not, um, not just episodes, but uh, like um, when we get into Victorian, mm-hmm. his name pops up again um, because all these, these periods are kind of cramped together. Well, Joseph Meeks... He's a furniture maker in New York, and he winds up starting basically a factory. Well, um, for like seventy years, and he he made pretty good stuff. Um, uh, there's a, there's a link down there that we'll get to. It's called the Meeks Broadside, and that's basically like you know how we would uh, paste up stuff. Like posters, yeah. That's that's sort of what a that is. Hmm. Um, so in uh, in 1833, Meeks prints up this broadside, this big poster, and he's got 39 pieces of furniture, uh, a couple of you know decorations like the drapery and such, and says you can have this, and this is what it costs. Huh. And um, from what I learned, it was it was pretty much a breakthrough. Like that was the first time somebody had ever done anything like that. Right. Um, although, when we were doing the Pennsylvania Dutch, didn't that guy? What was his name? Began with an L. Lap. Yeah. Didn't Henry Lap have something? Uh, he had like, like a, a sketch, like a book. Of right. A little sketches. handmade sketches. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, that's more akin to maybe like the Chippendale and the Sheridan kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But I guess this guy this is almost like guerrilla marketing where you're walking by and you're like, what the hell is that? Right. And it's all these pictures of furniture. And it's this exact piece will make this exact piece mm-hmm. here at our factory and it costs $149. Maybe that's what we got to do. We'll start, we'll go to like the mall <laughs> and we'll put a piece of paper under people's windshield wipers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it makes me remember my marketing class from college. You know what they said the return is on something like that? Well, like one in 1,000 or something. Yes, yeah. one in 1,000 for even... A mailer. Uh, any kind of interest. Mm-hmm. We're not talking like a sale. We're just talking about a action. Lead. yeah. Like somebody might inquire. Well, what we'll do, we'll put it under the passenger windshield wiper. <laughs> So when they get in and realize they got to walk all the way around the yeah, side of the car. piss them off. <laughs> Do you ever do flyers? No. Yeah, I th- when I was a kid, I think I I had one or two jobs where it was to, like, go out to mall parking lots and put flyers. I think it's pretty well banned now. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. Must be. Because um, it just turns into litter. Exactly. You'd go there and you'd see them all on the mm-hmm. floor. Because people, you know, they get blown off or people get pissed off and they take them out and they throw them on the mm-hmm. ground. It's like ma- now you see the masks all over. Oh, yeah. It's just terrible. Uh, who's using a, a single-use mask anyway? <laughs> no. If you don't have a mask. By this point. <laughs> get with the program, You've people. had time to purchase a, you know, a multi-use mask. <laughs> 
I like Hunter's mask was pretty cool. That mesh. Where'd you get that? Mm, I don't know. My wife got that. Somewhere. I like that. Yeah, it's supposed yeah. to be some kind of uh, I don't know. You know, some wacky thing. I I like that. Well, Meeks's furniture was a simplified American Empire style. Mm. So what he did was he kind of dumbed it down. The quality was pretty good. Um, and the guy was successful. The broadside included prices and was intended to be a catalog that consumers could use to order furniture from Meeks. Wow. Oh, this is a good, this is a good aside. <laughs> <laughs> here's what I here's what I found. Instead, judging by the large quantity of furniture and the style of the broadside, either not signed or known to be by other cabinet makers all over the East Coast, Meeks's broadside was often used by customers to specify to local cabinet makers what was wanted. So it would be like somebody coming in with a picture of somebody else's piece and mm -hmm. saying to us, here, can you build this? Yeah, that happens more often than we'd like. Yeah, except back then, the prices were sort of even across the board. Yeah. Um, well, there was just one uh, one real uh, standard of fabrication, you know what I mean? Like, and pay and all those yeah. other things. You know, it's not like... You know, a shop like ours trying to compete with uh, a factory or overseas production. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. Wow, look at that. That's super Egyptian. Yeah. yeah. All these canopy beds. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, looking like a little more like Empire or, uh, sorry, uh, Federal. Mm hmm. Yeah, a lot of crossover. Mm hmm. Um, some of the things you could see are, uh, you know, even reminiscent of, uh, like the, you know, is that a fireplace surround or is that just a badly drawn dresser? This? <laughs> no, the other thing. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, that looks like a fireplace surround, right? That looks like a desk. Oh. I Let me see if I can zoom in. Man, it's getting cold down here. Yeah. For uh, you guys on the East Coast, it's n it's 19 degrees out right now. Oh at, shit! At 11:40, which is that's pretty cold in yeah New Jersey. So we got like a what is that like a I don't, I don't know, know like what a, those are those doors? The doors, uh, maybe a stone top there, marble yeah. top, and a mirror. Something you'd set in the hallway, or it's like a drop leaf table, maybe. Yeah. It's like a, one of those like uh, pier tables. Mm -hmm. Now you can see a lot of these elements have survived into furniture you'd see at any like mass marketed furniture yeah. store. This is almost like a Queen Anne style chair mm -hmm. with a splat. Look at that. The first chaise lounge that I yeah, see. That yeah. I remember. That seems like an Egyptian kind of deal. Yeah, that's big. It's it's these big things. in the Victorian era too. These are like these like basin. Uh, yeah, like I guess they're, they're, you're you putting put uh, something, uh, a wash basin on. Mm -hmm. It's like a secretary. What do they call these mirrors that have the pivot? Is, there... Is that an etagere? I don't. Know. Yeah, that that's a big thing. That pivoting mirror. Look at this couch. And there's the price list down below. Oh wow. I don't think we'll be able to see that. Yeah. No. That's a shame. That would be interesting, though. Yeah. I know. And nice color pictures. And there's the factory. Yeah. Broad Street, 43 and 45? Yeah. Broad Street, New York. Wow. I like this thing. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's very interesting to see this stuff. That's the real historical documents. Yeah, um, it's amazing that it, it survived piece of paper like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so you could go in and say, "Yeah, give me number forty-three <laughs> with a side of fried rice." 
<laughs> Can I add the egg roll? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you know the word Luddite refers to a person who's opposed to technological change? Mm-hmm. The terms derive from a group of early 19th century English workers who attacked factories and destroyed machinery as a means of protest. Oh, man, that's that's sounding all too familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Meeks having the first, like, big factory there in New York. They were supposedly led by a man named Ned Ludd, though he may have been an acro- apocryphal figure. Hmm. So there you go. That's why I threw that in there. Uh, Meeks was not without uh, his detractors. Yeah, well. And, of course, the Industrial Revolution, uh, we get into that more in the Victorian, which is uh, two two sections up. What do we got, Shaker between? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Shakers. Shakers are, are an interesting group. The Shaking Quakers. Yeah. <laughs> What's this ad for a portable sawmill? Ah, look, wow, at look at that painting. Landy's Portable Steam Engine Sawmill. Sainsville and Newark, Ohio. Yeah. You can see how this is starting to... Um, yeah, look at that. It's like a freaking train. It is, yeah. That's Let's like see. the locomotive of a train, and then... Oh, that's a pretty good quality picture. Yeah, I imagine there are some belts that uh, attach it to the to the blades. It's a nice scene here. We got a little lake, <laughs> a little chateau up on the hill, train going by, horse and carriage. Yeah, Look, these guys are everybody's what happy. Are they doing? They're stacking boards. Yeah, they got a big, big. Oh wow! It's I was thinking bandsaw mill for some reason. It's a circular sawmill mm-hmm. with a big bottom blade and a small top blade. That looks safe, right? What does this say? Blandy's Portable Engine and Sawmill are owned and operated all over the United States from the Atlantic to the Pacific. Uh, Something Central... Oh, Mexico, Central America, West Indies, industrialized... Something. Yeah, so... A little industrialization. Wow, I can get really close to this one. West Indies, South America, Europe, and even far off Asia. Wow. You got a woman in a fine dress, man in his top hat. Yeah, where's the wigs at? <laughs> you get rid of the powdered wig? <laughs> you got the rich guys over here looking at the people yeah. working. This is the portable engine and sawmill. That took the first premium at the U.S. Fair at Cincinnati over six competitors cutting 960 feet something lumber. Finished lumber? Finished lumber, fresh lumber. Oh, yeah. Out of two logs in eight and a half minutes. Something taken the... First premium everywhere. I don't know. Well, first premium seems to be like the prize, yeah. right? Yeah, and it's capitalized like mm-hmm. first premium. It's a proper noun. Zanesville, Newark, Ohio. Blandy's patent, and I apologize, I was just trying to read this old ad, and it's like, it's kind of grainy. Um, Blandy's. Patent portable steam engine and sawmill are undoubtedly the best in the world. They warrant all th- they warrant all their machinery there. T eight oh no, that is oh, yeah. right. uh for descriptive circulars report of upper something say operators? Operators and price lists address the manufacturers. Oh, for so you desc- can send away. For descriptive circulars, report of operators. Spe- spec. <laughs> 1867. 
650 Does that say $653? Uh, or is that just... Oh, not... Say, uh, maybe I thought it said sixteen fifty three. Yeah, I thought it maybe it was just like some kind of note, but yeah, maybe that's what that says. Six hundred fifty three dollars, something, March, ninth, eighteen sixty seven. Wow. Filed, filed March ninth, eighteen sixty seven. John something something. That's pretty cool. So you got Meeks with his factory. You got these saw steam engine sawmills. That's a great ad. It is. Isn't I'd like it? to have a like a printed out thing of that, like in a frame. That'd be cool. Um, and so the American Empire is probably the first style that's becoming mass produced, right? Um, and the real center for it in America was New York. Um, there is, this, I mean, it's all happening on the East Coast mm-hmm. anyway, because there is no real West Coast. Right. Ohio's the West Coast at yeah. this point. Well, they got um, Blandy sawmills out there. They said <laughs> they said they got them in the Pacific. <laughs> when was Lewis and Clark? That's a good question. We got the internet. Yeah. Um, so many examples of American Empire cabinet making are characterized by antiquities-inspired carving, gilt brass furniture mounts, and decorative inlays such as stamped brass, banding with egg and dart, diamond or Greek key patterns, or individual shapes such as stars or circles. Uh, I put a note here. I didn't know this, that the egg and dart patterns go all the way back to ancient Greek and Roman architecture. It's funny, you know, we talk about like how now like everything is so unoriginal and there's not any new styles and it's all just borrowed from I mean that's exactly what they were doing. It, these were all <laughs> I know. That's the The thing. federal was, you know, and so is this. Yeah, it it's amazing how how much of this stuff is brought forward. Mm-hmm. Um the most elaborate furniture in the empire style was made around 1815, 1825. Um, again, it's after we've been able to synthesize all of these new finds in, mm-hmm. in Egypt and everything, uh, often incorporating columns with rope twist carvings, animal paw feet, which we saw some great um, examples of, and thymion. I don't know what that is. I usually look it up. Oh. Uh, Palmette. It's a fan-shaped leaf of a palm tree. Yeah. Variants. Let's see. Uh, I guess just another word, another name for a palmette, which is yeah, like yeah, a, a fan kind of kind of deal. So um, there's a lot of ornamentation: mm-hmm. stars, acanthus leaf. Uh, sometimes with gilding um, and vert antique, which is an antique green simulating uh, aged bronze. Yep. And uh, the Red Room at the White House is a fine example of American Empire style. Hmm. The White House was gutted in 1814. All of you uh, history buffs will remember when uh, the British set fire to the, to the White House and burned Washington to the ground. <laughs> no, War of 1812, anyone? <laughs> it was largely reconstructed during the administration of President James Monroe, and the door and window frames and doors themselves date to this era. Hmm. So Monroe purchased furnishings for the Red Room in the Empire style as he had for the Blue Room to furnish the rebuilt White House. Hmm, it's like reservoir dogs. Yeah, so the Red Room, yeah, Mr. Pink, Mr. Brown. Uh, the Red Room is a simplified version of American Empire furniture, often referred to as the Grecian style. I didn't know that. Yeah. Generally, it's displayed as a plainer um, style, more uh, curved forms. It's highly figured mahogany veneers and some gilt stenciled decorations. 
and a, a lot of this stuff survives. Uh, you know, stuff in the White House, especially. Yeah. Um, that's why these are great historical examples. That'd be a nice gig. You're the, like the uh, conservator of furniture for the White House. Yeah. Have you ever seen the, the workshop they have there? No. Yeah, I think it was on 60 Minutes. They went and they did a tour of it. it it's cool. I mean, it's really cool. Um, what they got, like all new Oliver? <laughs> no. <laughs> not, <laughs> no, definitely not. No. It, it reminded me of like a really, really big, cool school, mm. industrial arts kind of thing. Yeah. Because you could imagine all the 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 old pieces and stuff that they have to save to reference and everything. Um, Speaking well, of Oliver, a little aside, I forgot to tell you, I had a dude reach out. Uh, he he does a lot of milling and stuff. I, I didn't get to dive too deep into his Instagram, but he's out in Washington State, and there's a Oliver Planer for sale, oh, same yeah. one that we had. And he messaged me. He's like, hey, uh, a bunch of people told me to, to ask you about this thing. <laughs> I did some digging and I found like your posts and whatever. Uh, what's the deal? And I said, go just go to episode thirty three of our podcast and listen to it. And I I told him some stuff and sent him some videos and stuff. But yeah, needless to say, he's not <laughs> buying it. Mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> Another poor soul saved. <laughs> so uh, red room of the White House. It's it's a good example of. Uh, American Empire. It's got uh, massive chest of drawers with scroll pillars, glass pulls. Hmm. Uh, the work tables have scroll feet and some fiddleback chairs. Um, elements of this style had a brief revival in the 1890s. So what's that? Uh, you know, 70 years later. Yeah. Particularly the chest of drawers and the vanities and dressing tables. Uh, usually executed in oak and oak veneers. Um, the Americanized interpretation of the empire style continued in popularity in conservative regions outside metropolitan centers well past mid-19th century. So well, They're always a little behind out there in the uh, outskirts. That's, that's basically it. I mean, that's, that's what that sentence says. Um, while the trends are moving in and out of the major cities, um, they hang on. They take a little bit longer to get there to the outskirts, mm -hmm. and they hang on a little bit longer, yeah. too. Because, you know, you guys just aren't as sophisticated as us city folks. <laughs> we like to think we're sophisticated, <laughs> don't we? We don't even live in the city. <laughs> no, we're suburban. We're close to it, though. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, the American Empire period begins in 1815, lasts through 1840. Popular, really peak popularity in the 1820s. Um, just recapping this. And um, let's take a look at some of the furniture. Let's look at this Empire yeah. sofa. Lost my mouse again. 805. We want to learn how to spot American two, Empire pieces. Empire today you guys have empire rugs uh out in your area what happened uh downloaded something what was this a, a virus oh oh, oh wow. wow there you go wow that's an empire sofa that is some picture too yeah that's definitely from the museum <whistles> so uh, how can we describe this sofa to our listeners this is well, classic Empire sofa. It's like a charcoal upholstery. Oh, I wish it was a little more high res. A um, lot of gold gilding. We have like, um, look, it's the return of the little wheel. Yeah. That must be a, is this like a monkey's head? <laughs> I don't know what animal part that is on the foot of this sofa. Let's see how close I can get you're pretty close, a little blurry. I mean, uh, oh, that's no, a, it's like a foot, and then it's kind of on something. Yeah, it's a sideways animal paw. Yeah, with acanthus leaves. Mm -hmm. 
Like um, some fruits, maybe? Yeah. And the shape of the sofa itself is, is sort of like... I I think the best way I could describe it is like a sled, a sleigh, right? Yeah, it's like a sl- like almost yeah, like a sleigh bed. It has a scroll, these like scroll ends. Um, I'm liking this thing. It's very classy. It's yeah, I mean it's a little too um, boisterous for me, but the the shape in general. Right, who would like this, Jacqueline? This is like oh yeah, I I mean if you take out the gold element whether that's gold leafing or what have you mm-hmm. you could see it fitting in to a modern home yeah like if it was just wood and upholstery yeah yeah maybe, maybe ditch the claw feet yeah i mean even with the claw feet it, yeah. you could, it, it still works yeah maybe you know a little not so much carving <laughs> right. here yeah. Just tone it down a yeah. bit. Give it the Joseph Meeks mm-hmm. uh, style. Yeah, the budget. You know, we'll value engineer it. Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, I yeah. love these cutaways here. Yeah, you could see now definitely this is its own distinct thing away from federal. Yeah, wow. It looks pretty comfortable, too. Yeah. Got, like, you know, a pretty thin uh, pad down here, but... I mean, up until this point, you know, we're, we're not seeing a lot of upholstery. Yeah. Wow. That's a good one. All right. Identifying empire and American empire furniture characteristics. Um, certain characteristics define American Empire furniture and make it easy to identify in antique shops. If, let's say, you're looking for an Empire sofa, dresser, etc., uh, it's heavy and substantial. Mm, like the Jacobean. Yes, that's right, because none of this stuff is getting invented out of thin air. Right. Um, empire pieces are not delicate and fragile-looking items. You'll see thick columns, Pillars. Sorry, I just want to yeah. open this up so I don't. Uh, oh. oh, sorry. That's all right. Um, they got heavy drawers and shelves. It's sturdy looking. Let's see this bookcase. See if it holds true. What are these old freaking downloads? Oh. See, this is like looks totally different. Yeah. Like, that motif in the middle there almost looks like that federal piece. This that, is very gothic. These, yeah. These uh, arched mm-hmm. lights with these circles down here. Look at this. I don't even know what the hell you call that. It's like a raised, elongated diamond. But it's totally... It's pillowed. Yeah. Like, completely radiused here. Wow. All the veneer work, you know, definitely... Um, Stone top again. Yeah, Hawkins back to the federal. Again, a, a uh, ambiguous <laughs> animal foot. <laughs> these same thing yeah. here. These little, little. Uh, there was a name for these diamonds. Huh. I mean, gorgeous veneer work. And the top almost looks like it has a whole separate scheme to it except for the columns that tie it together right yeah the 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 doors the doors on the top and the doors on the bottom look like they come from two separate pieces yeah. then you have that piece in the middle that waistband yeah it's big and there's like a big overhang yeah very very um eclectic looking piece yeah big sort of bonnet top mm-hmm very interesting. Yeah. This is cool. So, so far for identifying Empire, we have, uh, they're big, they're heavy pieces. Um, they're symmetrical. Sweeping curves, bold lines are an important part of the style. Um, additionally, American Empire furniture relies heavily on symmetry. I see. Hmm. Ornate carvings, 
um, especially on the feet. Yeah. <laughs> Antique clawfoot tables, dressers, uh, ornately carved pillars. Uh, look for egg and dart molding, star carvings, and Greek key patterns. That's another good way to identify empire pieces. Yeah, that, we saw that at the bottom of the Meeks ad. Yeah. Look, there's an em empire foot. Yeah, it was like a cat foot. Yeah, they. I mean, they seem to be some kind of big cat always. Yeah. With the sort going up into a leaf pattern. Yeah. We got like a flowery kind of guy right mm -hmm. there. Interesting. What's this empire table? Huh. It's like what are these PDFs? Oh, there it is. Wow, that see that's very simple compared to some of the other things we've seen. Yeah, just some carving right there. Yeah. This is a that's round table. Kind of like a a. Uh, a palmette. There, there you go. See, we're learning. It's a it's a ra heavy, broad apron. Mm-hmm. Round, you know, round marble top. Mm-hmm. Single pedestal. Super chunky on the pedestal. Yeah, all those three three feet you call it three uh, legs. Yeah, it looks like it. But they're about. Three inches thick. <laughs> yeah. Three inches thick and <laughs> five inches high. Yeah, it's substantial, so I guess that's the part. I mean, that apron is is monstrous. Yeah, it must be veneered. Yeah. Um, what else we got for Empire uh, characteristics? Um, gilt and brass details. Gilt, gold. Some pieces from the American Empire period include details of inlaid brass banding. Mm, interesting. Have gilding to add warmth and sparkle to the dark woods. That's true. Everything we've seen has been fairly dark. Mm -hmm. um, carved could have carved wooden knobs and pulls, but you also see a lot of brass and bronze pulls with those ornate backplates. Yeah, that's been pretty commonplace from the colonial period mm -hmm. for those uh, brass backplates. Yeah. And it, I mean, I know it goes all the way to the Victorian and, and even arts and crafts. Yeah, yeah. Um, the cabinetry uh, often features glass panels on the doors. We've seen that. Um, some have raised panels that are, you know, really well carved, expertly carved to show off the workmanship of the time. Um, and uh, lastly, fine woods and veneers. Everything's dark, rich. They favored mahogany and walnut, um, and uh, you know, went use veneers in the same way we discussed during the federal period. Oh wow! I I tell you, one piece to the next that you could see some reminiscence from the table that that foot shape to those to these pilasters. Yeah. Here, yeah. That almost looks modern. Yeah, this like if you told me this was from the forties, I'd believe you. I mean, this is from the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, the early eighteen hundreds yeah. too. Yeah. Wow. Look at this. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> We're laughing because it's on brown carpet with like a and the, there's like a painted over outlet next yeah, to it. Yeah, you can see the chip paint and stuff like yeah. that. Look at this. There's some water damage here and Yeah. Paper. It's taken from pictures taken in somebody's home. Yeah, it's like the landlord special. Yeah, really like cheap baseboard oh my and God, yeah, 3-inch clamshell <laughs> baseboard. But I'm seeing I guess Egyptian um in the form of it. Yeah, yeah, like, definitely an Eastern kind of look. Mm-hmm. These, like, this stacked deal here. It's a really cool-looking piece of furniture. Mm -hmm. I mean... Yeah, these are scrolls, and but the back are turned, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, I see that, yep. Um, so it's a dresser, three drawers in between these. I don't know, I mean, how to describe those balances, because they're, they're curved... In a scroll, it's like a, a scroll, S, right? Yeah, an S like scroll. A, uh, but the you're seeing we're seeing the edge of it instead of the side of it. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. There's a a keyed 
drawer here at the top. With sort of like this. Or maybe it folds down. Yeah, a, a rounded sort of. Uh, yeah, a cove right down the middle of it. And then the top section, those stacked drawers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if this is like a flips open, if it's in the open position now, mm-hmm. or if that's just a decoration. It's it's like a splash. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. This this setting is it's yeah. <laughs> that piece deserves to be in a museum. Yeah. Um. So obviously it's in a private, private setting. Empire Chester drawers. Um. Primary woods went over this, but uh, I'll add ro- rosewood, mahogany. They they even used um, maple and local woods if it had you know some really really nice figure. Mm-hmm. That's and, just for the country pieces. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this was surprising. The secondary wood during the Empire period was frequently pine. Hmm. Um, uh, some notable forms. Um, this the Clismos chair uh, is was probably um, the the most. Uh, I don't want to say famous because I never saw it. Wow. Uh, but this form comes up time and time again. And this is, it's definitely Egyptian, you yeah. know, that rounded back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, remember the Duncan Five chair? The one that we thought was so weird? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that had caning like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think it, the front rail might have been something similar to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at this curve. Yeah, that's the thing the the Clismos chair um, has. Yeah. So if you're listening, it's like the the seat um, curves right into the splat. Like, yes. Um, it's hard to explain. It's almost like uh, if you looked at the chair sideways, the back was like a a quarter of a circle. Yeah. That met the seat. It's like a half pipe, like a, yeah. like a quarter pipe. Quarter pipe. Um, scroll and sofas and settees. Settees. That's like, yeah, like what we uh, looked at before. Mm-hmm. That's the, That's same, the same, same one, picture, yeah. yeah. Um, the sleigh bed. Okay, that makes sense. There's an. Yep, look at that. That's like. Man, who's sleeping in that? <laughs> that better be for a kid. <laughs> that looks painful. Is that a crib right yeah, next door? Yeah. Yeah, it's be. about the same size. <laughs> I know. This has some brass claw feet. Yeah. So you can see that that sleigh motif. Yeah. It might be carried over from like I'm imagining like, you know, the Cleopatra the... and the ships. Yeah. You know, uh, the way they carried her around. Mm-hmm. Now, Cleopatra was what in the... She was an Egyptian. It, but what time period? Like, it was like pre-500? Yeah, I think um, it was when uh, Rome yeah. was in power. Because didn't she have like an affair with... Uh, Caesar, right? Mark Antony. Oh, and, yeah. Um, what's that pier table look like? Oh, look at that, that! Similar to the uh, that dresser. Yeah, that motif. I I wonder what that's called because it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's like a scroll. I guess you call it like a scroll. A scroll, but it's the orientation of it that makes it. Yeah, almost looks like the f hole in like a violin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So see, they have this same sort of cove thing mm-hmm. going here. There's there's definitely some differences in the pieces yeah um like different subsets of the style so to wrap it up put it in a nutshell oh man we still got another page to go to put (laughs) the the empire period furniture is has a lot of prominent greek and roman motifs Mm -hmm. heavy visual weight to communicate strength and stability oops um a lot of ornamentation to communicate prosperity uh, and th- these are the things that people who wanted this furniture wanted to 
align themselves with and sort of signify. It's like, you know, I've, I'm prosperous. I've got uh, power. And I'm trying to uh, align myself with the, these past um, empires that are, you know, great. Rome, Greece, Egypt. Yep. So how? Uh, let's just touch briefly on this. Um, industrialization, industrial revolutions beginning, circular saw, veneering, the, the spinning jenny, which is this um, thing that makes spools of thread. Huh. Uh, this is all leading to the um, reducing the cost of upholstery materials. Yep. Now, the spinning jenny is replaced by the spinning mule, which... Uh, sounds like a downgrade. <laughs> well, it's not, because the spinning mule could have 1,320 spindles and be 150 feet long. Jeez. So it's, it's spinning uh, 1,320 um, sp spools at a time. Right. And, like, these factories would have, like, 60 of these machines going. Jeez. Um, and now you could see how all this stuff is tied together. In England, they have these spinning factories. What are they spinning? Cotton. In America, they're growing cotton in the South. Yeah. They got the slaves picking the cotton, mm -hmm. uh, sending the cotton to England. Uh, the cloth comes back. The made. triangle. Yeah. Um, it's, it's all connected. Uh, the power loom uh, is invented in, in Britain. And in 1850, a little bit outside the, the time frame we're talking about, there were over a quarter million power looms operating in Britain. Wow. So Empire Furniture is starting to be made more cheaply than previous. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm seeing the downfall. <laughs> as we wrap it up so empire furniture could made could be made cheaply by the 1830s the expanding middle class market had created a nationwide furniture industry that began to replace the craftsman's workshop Son of a bitch <laughs> this is where it all starts to go wrong so what did all this mean for furniture sofas in particular well, the mass production of textiles made them more affordable, so furniture designers could use more fabrics in their work. And this is when furniture makers stopped upholstering just the seats and the backs of the sofas and started covering the entire frames. So upholstery, not wood, was the new focus on the sofas during the Empire period. Yeah, uh, it made them more to, comfortable. Yeah, they start to lose their... Mm -hmm. I mean, they look so much cooler yeah. when there's... So what do you what would you say what's your impression of the uh empire period? Uh I mean I like the way it looks. That's for sure. Yeah, and what else do you think? Um what well, what were your big takeaways? Um well, as we're seeing here at the end of the episode, it's the sort of sorry, it starts to be sort of a uh, the down downturn of the sort of craft. Yeah. Of furniture making, You're, I mean, it goes hand in hand with the industrial revolution, um, and it has overarching effects on the entire world aside from furniture. But um, yeah, I mean, it's not the beginning, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the woodworking part is still pretty much, except for some small instances in the biggest of cities, which is Meeks in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, you know, outside that, furniture still pretty much a craft trade but um it's <laughs> we see the writing on the wall don't we <laughs> yeah wow <laughs> so with that note <laughs> yeah. yeah so next week let's see next week we get into uh we'll dive a little deeper into the furniture yeah the specifics yeah. of it yeah so. we're gonna talk about the clismos chair um, got, uh, what else? The revived Clismos chair, Fife's interpretation, 
sleigh bed, mm-hmm. table, yeah. psyche mirror. Yeah. Ah, that's what that tilting mirror is called. Ah. Uh, is it psych or psyche? I think psych. Psych mirror. Got a lot of pictures to look at and discuss. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I'm looking forward to that. Well, you'll you'll be hearing that in several weeks. We'll be getting into that here in about a you know about an hour or so. Yeah, we gotta eat some lunch. Yeah, that's for sure. All right. Well, thanks as always for tuning in. Yeah, everybody, take care. We'll uh, we'll catch you next week. Ciao.